Today, in the city of David, a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. Well, you know, I wait all year to do this, so let me just do it now. Merry Christmas. You guys are losers. You're supposed to say Merry Christmas back. All right, good. All right, you just ruined my season for me. Thanks a lot. No, you know why I like to do that? Like, if you do that in culture today, if you say Merry Christmas like at Kmart or something, they look at you like you're Amish. And so, you know, I just, I, 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 it's culture's going nuts. And so I, I love church during Christmas time because not only does it remind me of growing up, especially when we have songs like we've sung today, but, but it also reminds me of just how powerful and safe and wonderful uh, church can and should be today. It really is. As culture continues to go crazy and as we continue to be in culture, be in the world but not of it, it's good that we have a place that we can come to and sing and worship freely without reprisals in, in this nation of ours and to uh, lift up Christ. And so let me try it one more time. Merry Christmas. There you go. You guys get it. Man, do that for the next two weeks. Hey, so I was working this past summer on what our, our Christmas series would be. And as you know, we came up with this idea of Christmas in one verse. And we'll explain more of that in a second. Last year at this time, when I did a four-week Christmas series, I thought it would be really special to invite Tom Schrader uh, to be a part of it. As many of you know, Tom is a dear friend of mine. Uh, Tom is a very, very uh, accomplished and gifted Bible teacher. Uh, he, for years, was the senior pastor at East Valley Bible Church, and he since has handed it off to the next generation, and it's now called Redemption Church. They have 10 campuses uh, all across uh, this valley, and Tom is still involved in giving uh, kind of help and wisdom to them, and he still has his own ministry uh, in which he teaches three or four times a week here in the valley. And uh, Tom is a dear friend of our church, really a part of our church, as many of you have been involved with his ministry. And so I thought this year, as we were doing a four-week series on Christmas, that it would be great to have Tom join us uh, again uh, in this teaching series. And it just helps me pace myself throughout this month as well. So Tom's going to come and deliver the word today, and uh, I think you're going to be greatly, greatly pleased. He's done a lot of work in the Word, uh, helping us understand uh, an aspect of Christmas you'll see in a minute that is, is just, it really could be argued that it's core of Christmas. And so let's show great Scottsdale Bible welcome to my friend, our friend, Tom Schrader. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's good to see you and be with you. And uh, I, Jamie's introducing me. I've got a new, it's like every time I come, I do a medical update for you. But my <laughs> latest problem is I can't hear. So my hearing is gone. So Jamie's up here, and all I hear is Tom Schrader, and then he gets really serious and he gets a scowl. And I'm not sure what he's saying, but if it was good, thank you, is, is what I'm, I'm trying to say. But the hearing thing has been really interesting, because you feel, and those of you that have experienced this, you feel dumb as a sack of rocks when people are talking to you. And, but it creates these 
really funny moments too, if you'll let it. So the hearing degenerated so fast that they wanted to do a MRI and all this stuff. So they scheduled it with EVDI, the imaging people. So they called, EVDI called, and I'm talking to this young lady and, and she said, you know, confirm your Tom Schrader. Well, yeah, and your date of birth. And then she said, what is the symptom that's causing us to do this test? And I said, I can't hear you. Okay. And she said, what is the symptom? I said, no, I can't hear. So I'm powering past that. Uh, I, I, Jamie invited me months ago to be part of this series. And I really do think Jamie does an amazing job when he gets away and he starts thinking and the not, 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 not creativity, it's that, but just the, the cl clarity and preciseness. So to say, we're going to do Christmas in a verse. And then when he introduced it to you last week, he did a little kind of game. Here's a phrase, finish the phrase. And I thought I'd pick up on that just for one phrase and just pick up on this week in history. So here's what you read and reminded of this week. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, is a day that will live in infamy. infamy. 75 years ago, and as you watch that, and, and why, I, I watch a lot of television, and I watch a lot of Pearl Harbor stuff, and you see that devastation, and it's just amazing how time changes stuff. Well, here's the verse that's Christmas in a verse. It's today in the city of David, there's born for you a Savior, Christ the Lord. And, and so Jamie's concept is to pop out four words and do a week on each word. So he talked last week on today, next week on Savior and Christ the Lord. My key word is born. Now, I'm going to make a distinction here, and it, it, I think, is important. I want to make a distinction between the Christmas story. That's all the stuff that you know. You, we learn primarily in, from Matthew and Luke's gospel. So there's angels and shepherds and magi and uh, uh, no room at the inn, all that stuff, Okay. I want to focus on the born part, but on the consequence and the meaning of it. So whenever I speak, my challenge to those of you that listen is to ask yourself four questions. What did he say? Is it true? And I, and I love the, so what? Now what? I mean, this whole Sunday thing is not just an information dump. It's to say, is this true, but what difference does it make? Well, here's my main point of the day. Jesus was born to die so that you might live. I've got three emphasis there. Jesus was born. That, that's a historic fact. 
What history may not get is why he was born, and that was to die. And the good news in that is so that you will have eternal life. When I first got the verse, my mind raced toward the so what and the now what. And I, and I met with Jamie, and he said, and, and, and honestly, it, 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 it messed me up. And I don't think that was his intention, but it messed me up. He said, I want you to explain the incarnation. Okay, well, it's, here you go. Let's try words like this, mystery. How am I going to explain it? And, and I can't, but I can define it for you. The incarnation is God sent Jesus to save us. And so if we put it all, and, and we'll look at, we'll expand on this in, in just a bit, but in John chapter 1, verse 14, John writes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he has seen his glory, we have, and the glory of the one who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. I, I frequently, when I teach or study, will use the message. It's Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the scripture. And I love what he does with this verse. The word became flesh and blood and moved in the neighborhood. Jesus came and moved in with us. That's the whole idea. God, the second person, Jesus, becomes flesh and dwells among us. In his systematic theology, Wayne Grudem writes this, to complete the biblical teaching about Jesus Christ, we must affirm not only that he was fully human, but also fully divine. So, so how, how, how am I going to explain that? All I can tell you is, okay, it is. It's true. It's what the scripture teaches. Although the word does not explicitly occur in scripture, the church has used the term incarnation to refer to the fact that Jesus was God in human flesh. The incarnation was the act of God the Son, whereby he took to himself a human nature. And the scriptural proof of this is extensive throughout the New Testament. It's, it's not like a verse and an abstract part of the Christian faith. J.I. Packer says, strong terms, it's central to the New Testament witness. R.C. Sproul says it's even stronger. It's essential to the Christian faith. So don't fall into the trap of thinking, here's this cute Christmas story, and there's a baby, and Joseph and Mary, and it's like, aww. It's not aww, it's awesome. God becomes man. Max Licato has just a great way of writing and saying, I love to read Licato. He says it this way, one sentence, Jesus entered our world not like a human, but as a human. Two giant mistakes, and we can make either one of them. We can focus, and our tribe, this is my assessment, our tribe, 
people like you and me and SBC people and Bible people, we tend, tend to focus on the deity part and miss the human part. The world tends to focus on the human part and miss the deity part. The world so wants to talk about Jesus as a role model and a teacher and a great communicator and a philosopher. Even in, I think it was 2000, it might have been 92, 2000, in the presidential debates, uh, they asked, it was the Republican presidential debates, they asked each candidate, who's your favorite philosopher? And one of them, not going to tell you who, doesn't matter. One of them said, Jesus. Well, yeah, but he's a whole bunch more. He's not Socrates. He's way more than that. He's God, come in the flesh. John says it this way, really familiar passage. When I think of incarnation, I think of two passages. This is probably the classic. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He came in the beginning, and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that's come into being. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. Skipping down to verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I just want to give you these. I have seven things. I just want to give them to you. Bam, 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 bam. And let them have that effect of you going, I get it. Okay? Here's what we get out of this. Number one, Jesus was in the beginning. He was eternal. He precedes creation. No beginning, no ending, always was. And he was with God, which demands personality, demands fellowship with God, de de demands the Trinity. And he was with him, and he was God. That's deity. And, and he created. Jesus created all of this. Not, here you go, big difference. Not manufactured, created. Somebody, way more gifted than me, manufactured this screen. But they took existing parts and they got wheels from one place and a stand from another, electronics from another and all this, and they manufactured. Jesus didn't manufacture. He created from nothing. He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And he, in him, was life. Larry Wright's theme verse, John 10.10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. You're not going to have life apart from Jesus. You, you can look for it, and you can find temporary relief from the anxiety and anxiousness of life, but you're not going to find real life in a, here you go, in a person, place, or thing other than Jesus. And he was the light of men. Light has at least three functions. It, it measures, we speak in terms of light years, light waves. It energizes it's the sun. It gives you life. And light reveals. If you want to understand the world for what it is, 
You have to have Jesus. This just popped into my head. So that's always dangerous because it, it, but, but Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is the decoder to life. You'll never get it apart from him. When I was in college, I went to a small liberal arts college in Davenport, Iowa, St. Ambrose College. And we were, every school has a nickname, we were the bees, B-E-E-S, the bees. So that threw fear into the hearts of our opponents. <laughs> We'd play the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and we were the bees. But the student union was called, appropriately enough, what would you think? The beehive. And we would sit in the beehive, and we would say, what is reality? (laughs) What is reality? What is life? Well, we're dead dark. We can't see anything. But Jesus comes, and all of a sudden, you go, wow. My first Christmas, I became a believer in 1980, March 6th. And I spent Christmas Eve with Larry and Sue and their family. And Larry read the Christmas story like only he could. Makes me cry to think about it with that great voice. And I remember my first Christmas as a Christian. And all of a sudden, we're singing these songs that we had sang our whole life, but now it meant something. God and sinner, what? Reconciled. And now I understood it. Before, it was just a line in a song. Jesus, lastly, became flesh. That's the incarnation. Now, the purpose of that, we learn in Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. This is kind of part of the Christmas story. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. That's the virgin birth. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. I I didn't plan on this, but it occurred to me first hour when I saw it on the screen that you could be here and go, wait a minute, I think I found a loophole. They were engaged, but now he's her husband? Well, see, in that day and age, engagement was different. I'll meet ladies all the time, and, and they'll say, I'm so excited I got engaged. Really? What, when's the date? Oh, I don't have a date. Well, let me see the ring. Well, I don't have a ring. Okay, honey, I got a tip for you. You're not engaged. I don't know what you are, but you're not engaged. Watch out, because something's going to happen in here. In that day and age, being engaged was the same as being married minus the living together and the relationship. And what Matthew's telling us is Mary's pregnant and Joseph understands they've never come together physically. And Joseph, and he's a great guy. I don't know how he handled it. Uh, Everything in me, if it's me, would be going, who is it, who was it? 
It had to be Mort. I've always been suspicious of Mort. Never trusted him. Never liked that guy. Saw the way he looked at you at homecoming. Well, uh, Joseph, here you go, verse 19. Joseph wanted out is what he wanted. But he wanted to do it with dignity. And he wanted to preserve Mary. But an angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Here's the key. For the child in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to take all the guesswork out of naming. I just read, there, there was a, I'm a sucker for list. Ten things of this, five things of this. This week there was a list, ten names parents regret giving their kids. <laughs> and, and it was weird is they were like, one of them was Tom, which... <laughs> I regret my parents gave me that, but, but uh, well, they don't have to guess, Joseph and Mary. Joseph, you're going to call him Jesus for one reason. He'll save his people from their sin. Jesus was born to die. That's why he was born. And we, and I get it, we focus on Christmas. That's okay. But we can't separate it from Easter. To paraphrase the old Tony Campalo message, it's Christmas, but Easter's coming. 25 years ago, uh, I read a quote on a Sunday morning Christmas Eve service, and my daughter Haley loved it. And so I had it printed up and framed, and, and I thought I'd share it with you. Here it is. Here's a side of the Christmas story that isn't often told. Those soft little hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb, were made so that nails might be driven through them. Those baby feet, pink and unable to walk, would one day walk up a dusty hill to be nailed to a cross. That sweet infant's head with sparkling eyes and eager mouth was formed so that someday men might force a crown of thorns on it. That tender body, warm and soft, wrapped in swaddling clothes, would one day be ripped open by a spear. Jesus was born to die. Last night, Sandy and I were here, and we're sitting right back here for the Christmas show. And Mary and Joseph, and just for purposes of clarity, not the real Mary and Joseph, but Mary and Joseph were here, and they had baby Jesus. And they walked out right by us. And this moment, I, 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 it was like one of those moments. I went, wow, this quote matched up. She was holding this little baby. And, and all of a sudden it came to me, that was that little baby. Imagine knowing that. There are those little hands, that, that first step that he talked. Um, imagine what they talked about. Mary and Joseph, did they talk about it? That first step, one day, that step is going to take me up Calvary's hill? That's the truth of this. And the reason Jesus had to die, so perfectly wrapped up and summarized here by Max Licato, is the heart of the problem, the human problem, is the human heart. That's our problem. Our problem is not economic. Our problem is not relational in terms of human relation. It's not educational. 
That's why you can spend all the money you, know, you want on a person, place, or thing. If it's other than Jesus, it won't solve your problem because man's fundamental problem is sin. The world doesn't get it. Uh, every year, we, uh, and probably like some of you, go to see the Christmas carol. And uh, one of the things that I like and Sandy likes is we get the Coronado the week before Christmas uh, every year, not going this year, but, but every year. And there's a little bookstore in there called Bay Books. And this lady who runs it finds these incredible titles. And she had a book, I got it five years ago, it was first published, called The Man Who Invented Christmas. And it's about Charles Dickens and writing The Christmas Carol. And every year, I get the book out, and I put it on my table, and when Christmas is over, I put it back, and I've never read the book. It frustrates me. But this is a new year. 2017 is a new year. I'm going to become a finisher. Now, the people that know me best, that would be Sandy, are a little skeptical that I can do this. But I'm already off to a fast start. I finished that book. And the last, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You see that, Sandy? And the last paragraph of the book, the author writes these words. Eliminate ig ignorance Dickens dreamed of in his carol. Eliminate want. A tall order then and a tall order now. But one does not need to be a social scientist to know that he identifies the true source of misery in the world. The true source of misery in the world is not ignorance and want. We're little human wanting machines. We're dumb as a brick no matter how educated we are. The fundamental problem, and Dickens, and I like the Christmas Carol and all that stuff, but the fundamental problem is the human heart. That's why Jesus was born, to die so that you and I can have eternal life, and eternal life begins today, if you believe in him, if you come to him in repentance and faith. So I took the phrase that Jamie used last week, today of back then, is the same as today now. And I've got, I think it's five, I don't know, five practical application points. We have 15 minutes. Number one, God understands you. God gets you. Jamie mentioned this last week. There's something when you're with somebody and you're, and you're pouring out your heart to them or you're talking to them and all of a sudden they say, I understand how you feel. That is so encouraging, such a connection. Lakato writes, God is always near us, always for us, always in us. Look at the end of this. Not just God made us, not just God thinks of us, not just God is above us, God is with us. Emmanuel. So, something's become very clear to me. And it was initially very, very scary and is now less scary. Sandy knows me 
better than any, I think, better than any person on the earth ever has. It's very scary. It's, it's not that she knows what I'm going to say or do, but she knows why. She knows those motives. She, she knows what I need. Right, right, right before I'm coming up, and she knows I can't hear Jamie speak and then all that, and I got my Bible, and I'm right before I come up, she leans over, this is my good ear, and she says in my ear, I love you. Oh my gosh, did I need to hear that? I got my notes, I got my quotes, I got this, I don't really know you. It's a little intimidating. I, 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 I really needed that, and she knew it. It's my second point, and more important, as great as Sandy's love is, is that God loves you. Our deepest desire, yours, mine, every person that's ever lived, is to be loved. Not, not in a transactional way. Not I'll love you with, I'll love you when. We love that way. Oh, I love you. And then three months later, everything breaks up. What happened? Well, what we meant was, I love you as long as you do what I want you to do. Or we find out something new about you. I can't tell you how many couples I've sat with where the husband or the wife will say, the guy will say, I would have never married there, married you if I knew that about you. Well, here's what God says. I love you, and I know that about you. And even more than that, I know stuff about you you don't even know because I know the future. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that here comes the incarnation. His, his motive, and it was all about love. The, the New Living Translation deals with the verse this way. It's more about action. For this is how God loved the world. It's the same thing, again, in a husband-wife. Do you love her? Yes, I love her. He says he loves you. He says he loves me, but he doesn't what? Show it. God says, I love you, and then he shows it. And again, here's the message. This is how much God loved you. When the, when the girls were little, we'd do the, I love you. I love you, Dad. Uh, I love you, honey. How much do you love me? Do you love me this much? I love you this much. I love you this way. I love you farther than my arms can all the way across the universe is how much I love you. And God says, this is how much I love you. This whole world I created and you in it, I'm sending Jesus. Now, really big point, lest you get carried away with thinking you're something special. Romans 5, 6 tells us it was while we were still helpless. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, he demonstrated his love. 5, 10, while we were enemies. You, you, you feel that a little differently maybe now? 
He didn't love you because you were lovable. He loved you in spite of you. Let, 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 that, let that sink in. Let that be that trigger thought for the week. God loves me, but not in that frivolous, because my fear is we go, oh, God loves me, and we go on to the next thing. No, he loves you when you were least lovable. You were a sinner. You were an enemy. You were despicable in his sight. And in spite of you, not because of you, he loved you, and then he said, here's how much. And he died. The same John who writes the gospel says this in 1 John 4. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us. Our love is always, no matter how, I love, I love Sandy. I said it when we got married, for better or worse, rich or poor, sickness and health, and I meant it. But some days, that love seems, seems deeper than others, fluctuates. I, I think it's trending up, you know? I think it's trending up. I, I love her more today than I did a week ago, and I loved her a lot a week ago, but God, here's what God says. God doesn't say I'm trending. God says I love you, and there's nothing you can do. Think, just Think about this. There's nothing I can do to make you love me more or nothing I can do to cause you to love me less. We're not used to that in relationship. In our relationships, we think, boy, if I mess up, this will be over. Some of you were raised by parents that loved you as long as you performed. Some of you have had a spouse or a boss or any human, a coach, who loved you if you were two for three, but, but they didn't seem to love you as much if you were 0 for four. God loves you. Here you go. And Jesus is your only hope. In, in 2008, we had a presidential election, and the theme of that election was hope and change. And, it, and I went back and looked through, and I didn't bring them in, all of the presidential elections where there's kind of been a theme. And I would say 70% of the time, the theme was hope and change. Different, new. We just had it. Make America great again. The implication is hope and change. Well, as I went back and researched and studied preparing for this, in Jerusalem at the time Jesus was born, there was dissatisfaction everywhere. The Romans had occupied. The people were looking for an economic Messiah. They were, they were looking for everything but Jesus. The hottest selling item at Christmas was a hat that said, make Jerusalem great again. Okay? <laughs> That's what was selling. Well, the hope you got, the only hope you got is Jesus. Like I said, that first Christmas, the carols, look at this one. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting life. Look at that last phrase. 
the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And you're here today with your own set of hopes and fears, and they're found in terms of being met, not in a political party or not getting the deal closed. Those are all important. I'm not saying those aren't important. I'm just saying that ultimate need you have is a need that can only be filled in a personal relationship with Jesus. I, I use this uh, quote for you a couple of years ago. Our hope is rooted in, and you can get the, you can kind of see the punchline. Our hope is rooted in God, his character, his promises, his faithfulness, his sovereignty. Hundreds of prophecies fulfilled perfectly in the birth of Jesus. God's in control. He has a relentless, perfect plan for the whole world, but you don't care about that. He has one for you. And he'll continue it. Romans 8.31. What uh, shall we say? If God's for us, who's against us? 8.35. Who can separate us? And that becomes really the theme from the love of Christ. The apostle lists all sort of things. And then in verse 37, gives us his conclusion. But in all things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. I'm convinced. And then Paul lists a bunch of things and summarize it with, or any created thing, that would be everything. I'm convinced none of those things can separate us from the love of God. That love that he has for you is a perfect love, and it's based not on you hanging on to him, but him hanging on to you. I'm in this physical therapy, and one of the things we do is, is called planking. You, you all, some of you know what it is and do it. And I, the, I, this summer, a guy set a record. For those of you who do planking, imagine this. Set a record, the world's record for planking, eight hours and one minute. I have to do three 30-second plank. So I'm on my elbows, and, and I don't do it on my toes. I do it on my knees. And by the third one, okay, it's 30 seconds. We're 10 seconds into it, and, and I'm just, I'm shake. I'm, I'm like, you, <laughs> you could make a margarita on my back. I mean, I'm just shaking. I got every, it's got to be ugly for you to watch this, but I'm shaking everywhere. Well, if my relationship with God is based on me hanging on to him, I'm going to get weak and let go. But here's what Paul said. Nothing can separate you from God's love for you. I have three minutes and 11 seconds and one last point. And, and I'm hesitant to... Number five, Jesus... Oh, I've got two more. Jesus is your role model. I hesitate to say that because he's God and, and, and you can't follow his path of dying on a cross, of dying for others, but here you go, but you can live for others. It's marked by a spirit of humility. Philippians 2.5, have this attitude in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. 
and then talks of the incarnation. Eugene Peterson has a paraphrase of Philippians 2.5, and he writes this, think of yourselves the way Jesus thought of himself. And when Paul writes this, he's not focusing on the incarnation, he's focusing on the humility. He says to you, you think like Jesus, you be humble like Jesus. What, what, what's the key, okay? We have peace with God, we have the peace with, of God, and now we're to be peace of God in the world around us. And the key to that, I'm convinced, is to enter in every relationship asking the question, how can I serve you? Not how can I be served? To think like Jesus. He was God, he emptied himself, not of his deity, but of his glory, and he became a man. You, you got relationships? This, this, this time of year, relationships just get surfaced. Problems. You got problems? Here, here, let me give you the key. It's not for you to focus on you, but to focus on Christ and how you can be Christ in the midst of those circumstances. It's the last point, number five. God uses you to light the world. Last year, Christmas Eve service here, Sandy and I came to the last service of the, of the evening, and we sat right here. And at the end, we all had a candle, and I thought two things. I thought, wow, this is a hassle, and two, uh, they just redid this room. I don't know if I want candle wax all over, but see, that's me. That's human. It was bigger than that. It was an illustration. The room went dead dark, and there were three or four people with a candle. And they went around, and, and they lit our candle, and we lit others, and pretty soon, this room was bright enough to read in, and it was all because two or three candles lit all the other candles. Matthew 5, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they see your good works. There you go, because time is away from me, and, and Troy's going to come back and close us with a couple of carols. So if you're in the venues, stay with us if you would. Here you go. Rather than say, and I've been saying Merry Christmas. I love it. I feel like Scrooge on Christmas morning, happy Merry Christmas. But, but rather than say Merry Christmas to someone, this is the Christmas to make somebody else's Christmas merry. You be it. And not just December 25th, but all year long. Not in the spirit of Christmas, but in the spirit of Christ Jesus. And you can't do it without him. You've tried it. You tried to be nice. You tried to be disciplined. And you're just like reading through the Bible. You got to January 5th and you were done. You hit numbers and you were out. Okay? <laughs> You went to the gym. Here's what I learn every year. Big difference between joining a gym and going to the gym. <laughs> We're asking you to be a follower of Christ and then to really do it and live like it. Jamie's going to pick up right there next week. Let me pray. Father, thank you.
for these amazing truths. Thank you that we have your son, Jesus, in our life. God, let us be the light to the world around us as you shine through that. We pray that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.